Take your Bibles out. Let's go to, let's finish up James. How about that in the next couple of weeks? Um, let's go to James chapter 5. And as you turn there, I want to, I guess, just highlight this, this fact, guys. And that is, um, some of the messages here are, um, are you know, we've got to really think through things and dialogue about it. This one tonight is more of, I'm going to state some, some very much the obvious. And I just want it to sit with us for about 45 minutes here. I want it to sit with us because the words I say today are not going to be high level. The, the topic isn't high level but the outcome of this topic could, could really make or break your marriage. It could make or break your relationship with your kids. It could make or break your working relationship. It could really make or break the way you view God and how God works in your life. Okay, so turn to James chapter 5 with that in mind. And let's pick it up in verse 7. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 5. James uh, just got through talking about this idea, if the rich are wronging you, what you need to do. He says, in fact, he says, uh, behold, the pay of the laborers in verse 4 who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on earth. You've led a, a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. And we talked last week about this idea of well, who is rich and who isn't? And I think we discovered that most of us, because we eat, because we're clothed, because we have a closet full of shoes and a couple of computers at home, and the list goes on and on, that we are the wealthy ones. But that's not true for everyone. And certainly there are those of you, because of your job situation, because of the economy, because of whatever, you do feel oppressed. You do feel like you've been wronged in this area. And so James comes along to us in verse 7, and basically he concludes this whole book in verse 7 with everything he said up till verse 7, because all of the things that he's telling these Jewish believers to do who are scattered throughout, uh, throughout the world, basically, is how to live the Christian life in a real practical way. And this is the way he sums it up, and I enjoy what he has to say here, and that is this. He says, be patient, therefore, brethren. Until the coming of the Lord. So I don't know if we have that first one. He says, be patient, brethren. Therefore, until the coming of the Lord. And then he says, behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets to the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And if you haven't already guessed by this slide or by what we just read here, I just want to spend some time tonight because James spends some time at the end of this book saying, be patient. Be patient. Which the opposite of that would be to be impatient. And that's where I think most of us live our lives. Most of us live our lives in a just a, a, an arena of impatience. We justify and we blame our impatience on those around us. I wouldn't be impatient if it weren't for, and we fill in the blank. But because of, and we fill in the blank, I am now impatient. And it's almost like we feel entitled to be impatient. We live in a society that is a microwave society, so everything's got to be fast, 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 fast. And because of that, I have the right now to be impatient. Well, just shout out, what are the ramifications of impatience? What does impatience look like in someone's life? What does it look like? Anger. 
I'm sorry? Bitterness, frustration, rage, jealousy, envy. Guess what those are? The deeds of the flesh. And Paul is saying, and James says, and Jesus says, you have to make a choice. You can't serve both God and man. Make a choice. And if you're going to choose to be impatient, please know you are stepping on the side of the deeds of the flesh. You're living out of your flesh, no matter how you want to justify it. But the result of impatience are those things. Anger, frustration, um, bitterness, jelly, jelly, jealousy, <laughs> envy. Those are the things that we know. Well, yeah, they're just being impatient right now. How do I know? Because that's the way they're acting. We see this on the road all the time. Constantly, people are acting out in their impatience by way of road rage. You see this at work. You see this at home. You even see it in the scriptures from some of the most holiest of people. Impatience is all around us. We can't get rid of it. It's like, an, it's, 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 like it's in the air. And yet James comes along twice in James chapter 5 and he says, be patient. Take a deep breath. Recognize that it's going to be okay. Life is bigger than this situation right here, right now. Be patient. The question that I'm going to ask over and over again tonight is, are you being patient? Just pausing causes some of us some anxiety. Why isn't he talking right now? Why isn't he saying something? Why are we sitting here? Let's get going. The quicker he talks, the quicker he can pray, the quicker I can get out of here. I love when it gets to be about 8.01. It just, like this room gets filled with ants. And people start fidgeting and twitching and just an internal alarm goes off. I have to go. We got to go. We got to go. Wrap it up. Let's go. Um, we all do that. We're, we're just, we, we live in a, in a culture of impatience. Turn, take your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter six. If you don't think it just, if you think it just exists here on earth, Revelation chapter six, I don't want to make too much of this passage. Uh, these are the seals that are being broken in the end times. And in Revelation chapter six, look at verse nine of chapter six. This is the fifth seal that's being broken. The fifth seal, and that is the, the martyrs. Let's just read it for uh, face value and see what we come up with here. And when he broke the fifth seal, John writes, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So these are people that have lost their life because of their testimony. We think that this is mostly those people that have died in the second half of the tribulation, probably the second half of those seven years of tribulation, depending on your eschatological viewpoint. Uh, you may agree with that or not, but for the sake of what we're reading here, we know that they are people who lost their life for the word of God. Okay, we know at least that much. And they cried out with a loud voice in verse 10 saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, again, no matter what you think of heaven or the souls or where these people are, which is they are underneath the altar of souls, these people are impatient. 
They've lost their life and they are asking God what? To do what for them? To avenge them. And because he hasn't done it yet, they're kind of sending him a little memo, a little reminder. Yoo-hoo! We lost our lives for you and we're asking, when is this going to happen? When, O oh Lord, how long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Let's get it going here, God. I wouldn't mind a little payback. God says, and there was given to each one of them a white robe. And listen to this in verse 11. And they were told that they should what for a little while longer? They should rest for a little while longer. Isn't that interesting? That they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. God, I just took my life for you. I, I gave it all for you. Someone ran a sword through me. Someone took my head off for you. I just need to know. I, I'm not saying I need to do it. I'm not saying that I need the details. I just need to know what? When you're going to do it. And isn't that the way we live life here on earth? I don't need to know the details. I just need to know when. And the question I think God has for you tonight is why do you need to know that? Child of God. Why are you so anxious about knowing what is to come? He says to these people who are already in heaven, listen, take a breath. Because as we talked about two weeks ago, guys, there is a will of God's that is what? Starts with an S. That is sovereign. And you don't mess around with God's sovereign will. And according to God's sovereign will, other people have to lose their lives first. God is saying to these great men and women who have lost their lives for him, take a breath. I've got this one. Here's a white robe. <laughs> go lay down. Take, get, get a massage. Go, go take a sauna. Do something. I've got this. And guys, today, God is telling you and me, in your pain right now, in your challenge right now, in your, some of you are probably wondering about the relationship you're in right now. Some of you are wondering about the job you're in right now. Some of you are really, really wrestling with Gosh, I don't know if I can hang on that much longer. I don't know what's going on here, God. And I would really appreciate an answer now. And I think God may be saying to you tonight, take a breath. I've got this. I know it's hard to see right now. And guys, I can't think of a better example. When these people had their lives lost, when these people had blades running through them, I can't think of a better example of someone saying, I'm not sure you do have this, God. Uh, the, the blade is coming real close to me, God. And if you're going to jump in and save the day, you better do it. Oops. <laughs> too late. And God's saying, oh, no, 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 no. It's not too late. I've got this. That had to happen. And it's going to happen to more. But you're on the winning side. You have a God that hasn't given up on you. You have a God, guys, whose ways are not yours and they're not mine. And sometimes I think we need to get back into a right relationship with our God. So take your Bibles, go to Isaiah 55. I just want to give you tonight, and this may help you, this may not, but 
I want to give you tonight just some principles on this idea of patience. And here's the first one. Patience. I think when you display your patience with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your co-workers, I think that that reveals a right relationship. And what I mean by that is in Isaiah chapter 55, look at Isaiah 55, we'll bounce around a little bit tonight. Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 55, pretty popular passage, but go to verse 8. In verse 8 of Isaiah 55, Isaiah says, quoting God, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. See, having patience, guys, recognizes that this is a right relationship. Me and God. And when I become a child of God, I am giving up my right to dictate what needs to happen in my life. Uh, we call that being filled with the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5, don't be filled with drunkenness, don't get drunk, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what being filled with the Spirit means? It simply means just giving influence, allowing the Holy Spirit to have influence and control over your life. It's having a right relationship. It's saying to God, I'm not you. And guys, this is really, I think, in Christianity where the rubber meets the road. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God's in control and he has a plan and the plan is better than your plan? Because if you don't, you will continually display impatience. You will continually allow the world to get the best of you. And by the world, I mean people in the world, including kids and spouses and bosses and coworkers and employees and friends, they will get the best of you. You will be an impatient person. You will display that by anger and frustration and jealousy and bitterness and anger and more anger and more anger and more anger. And God's saying the reason that you're impatient is because you have refused to allow this thing to sink in, which is a right relationship concept. And a right relationship concept simply says, you have a plan, God, and it's not mine at times. And I want to submit to that. And that's going to involve patience. God's ways aren't yours all the time. And they're not mine all the time. And the question tonight is, are you okay with it? Go back a couple books to Psalm 27. Let's go back to the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bibles. Psalm chapter 27. And this is the second point, I think. Having patience... I'm going to put forces our hand because of this issue. Having patience, guys, really forces your hand to ask this question, do I trust this God whom I worship? Did you understand that last song we sang right before Dan left? Oh my God, my, my help is in you, um, my refuge and strength always, I will not fear. Uh, it speaks of this exact idea. And Psalm 27 echoes that. Wait on the Lord, the psalmist says. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How many of you struggle with waiting? I do. I, I am the, I've got to be, if there are three lanes, I'm picking one of them that gets me to the front. 
I have to be in the front. It makes no sense to me when seven cars are backed up in this lane and none are in this lane. Move them over. And if you're not going to go, I'm going to. I'm one of those people. You've got to, let's get this thing going here. And I struggle, guys. I struggle with this idea of wait on the Lord, period, or semicolon, be of good courage. And guess, and this is what he will do. He will strengthen your heart. It's not just, hey, go wait on the Lord over here and just don't ask any more questions. But while you're waiting, your heart will be strengthened. He will give you, and, and guys, a strong heart means that you're a confident, joyful person. While you're waiting, you're not just sitting over here not doing anything. You're living life. You're going about your business. You just can't get over here quite yet. And that's okay. God says, maybe I'll get you over here one day. But guess what? Maybe I won't. And if I don't, that's the best plan for you. I remember... Um, Gosh, it was 2002. I was rereading. If you don't journal, um, you might want to. It's a spiritual discipline. It's 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 just a good reminder to, to what was going on in your life. And so, when we started the church, when Marty and I started that church, I started journaling. And uh, just every now and then, I'll just go back and review what I read, what I wrote. And so, I, I was reading just last night. I was reading in in June of 2002. I wrote something like this. I wrote. Um, because I was struggling. I, Marty knows and Chris knows. Um, I, I'm not a good small church pastor. Um, if someone ever said, hey, we will give you six figures to go to go pastor a church of 100 people, just you can keep your money. Um, I will ruin that church. I will, I will bring that church down quicker than the devil. And so, um, so I just know that. I know that that's not my skill set. That's not my talent. It's not my passion, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so, so here I was for three years over a church of about 150 people. And God taught me so many things during that time, but toward the end of that, and some of you may have experienced this with your own jobs, you, you know, when it's kind of coming to an end, right? You feel like it's more of a job than it is a passion. You feel like it's more just of a grind than it is anything else. And so I started feeling that way. And so I journaled one day in June, uh, of 2002 um, I was, I was daydreaming of how great it would be to work at a, as a teacher somewhere, teaching the Bible to a captive audience. That was in June of 2002. And in April of 2008, six years later, I, I wrote this down. Um, I am proud to announce I got a job teaching at Valley Christian High School to a captive audience. I don't have an education degree. I, I had never desired to teach high school kids. I, I know nothing about Common Core or, um, you know, learning community, uh, professional learning community. I mean, any of that teaching lang lingo. I know nothing about it. And here I was being offered a contract to not only teach Bible, but to chair the Bible department, which means I, which means I have influence over the curriculum and how to teach and, and what to teach, et cetera, et cetera. But guys, that process was six years in the making. That process began with, God, I, I know that small church pastoring just isn't for me, and I feel like teaching's for me, but how am I going to get there? And guys, if Leanne were here, she would readily agree, those were a long six years. Those were years of bouncing around from job to job. Those were years when I took another pastoral job. That didn't work. I took a job speaking. I went to high schools and talked about, I tried to motivate high school students to, to take their SATs for a season. 
I work for SkillPath, which is a company that goes around the country and we give lectures to, to professionals and about how to, how to communicate better. And I was doing all of these things, but what I designed, what I felt like God was designing me to do, which was to teach the Bible somewhere to a captive audience. And so when I say, wait on the Lord, I hope you're hearing me. The wait always isn't pleasant. The wait always isn't, well, you know it's coming. I had no idea it was coming. And maybe some of you are in that position right now. You're waiting, but you can't see the future. And up until that contract was offered, I couldn't see the future. But it happened. And I think part of the reason it happened is because I was waiting on him. Saying, God, I, I just I feel restless still. We were paying our bills. Things were okay. But I feel restless. So I'm going to keep trusting in you, Father. I'm going to keep trusting that you have a plan here. And I'll kind of come under that plan. And for the past five years, I just finished my fifth year at Valley. Um, Everyone that I work with would testify. It's, I, I do it because I love to do it. I don't do it for the money. Um, I do it because I love to do it. So what I'm suggesting is this, guys. Your hand is going to be forced if you're going to be patient. And the, the forcing of your hand means, are you trusting that God is good? That God has a plan that's better than yours, okay? Number three, here we go. Uh, turn to, um, let's go to Galatians 5. Let's go to the New Testament for just a moment. Galatians chapter 5. Okay. I think when you and I are patient, it does this. And I think, I can't think of one other character attribute or virtue that does this better than patience. Galatians chapter 5. Most of you know this particular passage. Um, This is the dialogue Paul has uh, and he, where he describes both the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and not to belabor the point but he says here are the deeds of the flesh immorality impurity sensuality I'm in verse 19 here idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy outbursts of anger disputes dissensions factions envying drunkenness carousing and things like this okay which I forewarn you those who I forewarned that you who practice such things, and that's a habitual practice of these things, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And then he goes on with kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the characteristics of the Christian life is patience. So what I put here was patience helps you tell your story of faith. Patience brings people into your conversation of why are you so patient right now with your kids? Why are you so patient with your coworkers? Why are you so patient with your boss or your wife or your husband? Why? Because the world isn't. I'm not. You are, and I need to know why. Boom. They've just opened the door. They've opened the door for you to share with them the great news of Jesus Christ. Because your answer, please, cannot be, I'm just a patient person. That's who I am. It has to be, well, because Jesus gives me the fruit of the Spirit because I believe in Him. And part of, those, part of that characteristic is patience. Because that's a, that's a skill. That's a learned thing. That just doesn't come natural for most of us. But God, God can we display it? How many of you have been in a moment... In the past week where you've had the choice to be patient or impatient, I would argue most of us. 
And those times where we choose impatience, I guarantee you it felt good. I guarantee you that feeling of, man, that just, I, they need to know that. In this manner, in this tone, you need to know this. Being patient is hard. That's a choice you make that is rare. But when you do, you are displaying the fruit of the Spirit, Christian. Love, joy, peace, patience. Is that showing up anywhere in your life? Being patient helps you tell the story of Jesus Christ. Um, Fourthly then, go to Luke chapter 8. We'll just bounce around to two more passages for me here. Luke chapter 8. I think being patient does this. I think it confirms that life is a marathon. Uh, Luke chapter 8, and then we'll, uh, we'll go to one more and then bounce back to, uh, to James here. Luke chapter 8 and start in verse, I think in verse 11 here. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and you know this parable, or most of you do, and beside the road there are those who heard the devil comes, takes away the word from their heart. So he's going to describe four seeds here, right? So verse 13, those on the rocky soil... When they hear the word, receive with joy, they have no firm root. They believe for a little while, and in that time, temptation fall away. Number two, the seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches, pleasures of this life, bring no fruit to maturity. By the way, um, you know what's cool about this church? Just complete sidebar here, but... Um, I was talking to someone recently who, uh, as far as I know, it doesn't know Jesus. And they came to this church um, for a baby dedication. Um, the relative of, of someone getting uh, their baby dedicated. And, and as I was talking to this person, they said, out of the blue, they said, um, uh, I was talking about teaching the mine or something and at Cornerstone. They said, oh, yeah, Cornerstone, that church. And I said, yeah, that church. And they said, um, they said I'm rocky soil. And, and I just, I, I didn't know the context. I didn't know what they were talking about. I, you know, it's kind of odd when someone just says I'm rocky soil. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I just kind of paused, like, you know, waiting for them to fill me in here. And their spouse said, kind of laughed and said, um, oh, you're talking about the message we heard that Sunday. And the guy said, yeah. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, your pastor was talking about these ideas of seeds falling and planting and seeds coming up and stuff. And he said, when he talked about the rocky soil, he said, um, uh, the fell among the thorns that are ones who have heard and they grow up and choke the words and religious pleasures of life, bring them to maturity. He said, that's me. That's who I am. And so, and so guys, please know that this church is doing a phenomenal work in reaching people. Um, this was several months ago and he remembered that. Because of the creativity of Pastor Lynn. Because Lynn can speak in a way and preach in a way that reaches the person who needs to know Jesus Christ. And I was witnessing that right in front of me. I, I didn't say anything to help. I, I was just listening to what he said. And he said, yeah, I need to work on that. <laughs> I said, yeah. Because of verse 15. And the seed in the good soil. These are the ones who have heard the word. In an honest and good heart. Now listen to this. And hold it fast and bear fruit with what? With endurance or perseverance or patience. Why, isn't th- why aren't things happening quicker, God? Why isn't, this, why isn't my life looking better? I just gave my life to you and I need things to move now. 
I just rectified this wrong relationship. Things should be better right now. I should be displaying more fruit than I am. And God says, hang on, life's a marathon. People will see change in you, but change takes time. Um, I, was, I just wrote these, these down. Um, it takes nine months to have a baby, right? Which, again, for, that's a long time. Um, carrying a baby around, like I speak from experience, um, I'm assuming that could be a long time. To become a doctor plus residency is what, 11 or 12 years? I mean, think about that. Those of you, do we have any physicians in here? Uh, I mean, start, your, start at what, 18, 19? You're 31 or 32 before, you're, before you can start making a whole bunch of cash. That's all of your 20s, gone for a profession. That's a long time. I read somewhere that if you wanted to go to the sun and you drove 70 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it'd take 152 years to go to the sun. How long are you willing to grow in your walk with God? How long are you willing to wait? It's a marathon, guys. It's just, it just takes time to develop over and over and over again. And we struggle with that. As an, as an American Christian society, we struggle with that. But isn't it refreshing when someone comes alongside of you that's watched you grow and they say something encouraging? Like, man, you're different. Because you don't see it. I don't see it. We look in the mirror every day and we'll always see our faults. When you see someone grow, Christian, can I just encourage you? And you see someone make a change for the positive, could you let them know that? A spouse, a child, a friend, could you let them know, man, I see you're praying a lot more than, than I've seen you pray. Man, I, I've seen you love on people a lot lately. Man, I've, I've seen you in God's word lately. I've seen you praying a lot lately. I just, I don't want you to know that I'm encouraged by that. We don't see it. We always look on the inside and think I should be doing more than I currently am. And God's saying, you're doing fine. Keep going. This is a marathon. The fact that you're here is indicative of how much you want to learn and grow in your walk with the Lord. So keep at it is my encouragement to you today. And then finally, he says, I think, uh, in terms of patience, turn, turn to Second Peter. We'll end with this, Second Peter um, chapter 3. I think displaying patience does these five things and, of course, others. Reveals a right relationship. It forces your hand in terms of trust. It does tell your story of faith. It confirms that life is a marathon. And then look at Second Peter chapter 3. Um, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow about his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Whenever you think that you're doing a good job being patient or I'm doing a good job being patient, let's just remember how patient God the Father is. Let's never forget how patient he is with your sins and my sins. And I'm not talking about those that we do every now and then. I'm talking about the sin that is your pet sin, your Achilles heel. How patient has God been with you, Christian, over the past year or two or ten or 20 when you stumbled over and over and over and over and over again. So lest we think we're doing really, really well with patience, let's, let's model our patience after God the Father. And by that I mean, when was the last time you thanked God for his patience? 
When was the last time you went to God and said, God, I've done it again. I've blown it again. I'm sorry. I confess it. I need your forgiveness. I'm so thankful for your forgiveness. And by the way, God, thank you so much for your patience. Thanks for being patient with me. Guys, I guarantee you when you put that into practice and then your kid screws up, you're going to be more patient with your kid. When your spouse screws up, ladies, you're going to be more patient with your husband. When your employees screw up, if you own a company in here, you're going to be more patient with them. Why? Because your right relationship perspective is intact. God, you're being patient with me. How many times, God, am I going to have to confess this same sin over and over and over again? And God says, that's all right. I got you. It's forgiven. Get back up. Life's a marathon. Go out and do some great things. And let me just close with this because this is the main point. Back to James chapter 5. James says, be patient, therefore, brethren, not just for the sake of being patient, but be patient, therefore, brethren, for the coming of the Lord. And so there is a hope factor in here, okay? The patience you and I have, guys, should get us to the point of having hope. Hope in what? Hope in this. Jesus is coming back. How many of us long for Jesus to come back? Really, I mean, seriously, how much do, how do you long? Do you want him to come back? Do you want him to make things right? Do you want him to take all of the injustices and flip them on their heads and make things right again? Paul, uh, James says twice, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient, then strengthen your hearts because God is coming back in the form of Jesus Christ. He is going to do it. It's as real as I know the day is long. And the question is, is when he comes back, is he going to find his children, his bride ready because we've been waiting for him with high expect, uh, expectation? Or are we just mulling through life and when he comes back, it'll be a complete surprise to you and to me. Um, you want to talk about a bizarre life. I, 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 uh, I got an email, um, gosh, about, about two months ago. Lady up in Flagstaff emailed me. Uh, Godly woman. I preached up there in 2008, 2009, 2010. I preached up there a couple times a year. A good friend of mine has a church up there. And so every now and then I'll go up there and preach at Flagstaff. And so I get this email from this lady and she says, you don't know me um, and I'm not a a weirdo or anything. I just, I want you to know that when you preached, you gave your testimony about Leanne and and whatnot. And um, and I'm I'm an artist and I want you to know that I... um, I heard your testimony and and God just put it on my heart to start painting. In 2010, she started painting a a picture for me and I didn't know about it. So So she said, it's done. This was like in February of this year. She said, it's done. And I'm thinking, listen, I know nothing about art, but two and a half years? So she said, Again, this sounds really off the wall and whatnot, but can I deliver it to you? And I said, I don't know, man. This is kind of like, what do you you know, what would you do? I mean, someone calls you out of the blue and says, "I've, I've been painting for you for two and a half years. Can I deliver this to you? And so, and then she said, which I was reassured, she said, Here's my name and information and stuff. You can contact your friend at the church, you know, the pastor at the church. He can, ver- he can vouch for me. You know, he can verify who I am, which I didn't do. I, I felt like that would have been a little too rude. And so 
I said, um, I said, yeah, I mean, what am I, what do you say? You know, um, but I, guys, I felt like I felt bad. Like you're going to drive down from Flagstaff to deliver paintings to me. And so she said, yeah, you know, so anyway, after emailing back and forth situation stuff, two months go by last Saturday, her and her husband and her, and her daughter showed up at my house and, uh, and I should have brought it in and think about bringing them, but two paintings, whatever the canvas they're, they're basically both of them would take up this whole thing right here. So they're split down the middle here. And, um, and it's a picture, it's a painting, um, of, uh, the, the, uh, an angle of looking at the a, a gate possibly of heaven from this angle right here. So it's kind of looking at the gate of heaven through this angle right here. And both, both portraits kind of picture that. And she said, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know why. I don't know what the inspiration was, but I, I just, I heard your story. And I know Leanne's in heaven. And I just had this vision that maybe heaven looks something like this. And that's what maybe she saw when she first got to heaven. I'll bring it next week. Yeah, I'll bring it to you guys next week. I, I, I'm just, so she pulled them out of her car and just, they just kind of sat in my kitchen. I'm just, I'm just staring at them. Like, what do you say? What? I mean, it was just unbelievable. And, and so guys, um, and she said, I don't know what, you, you know, whatever you want to do with them. Like, do whatever you want with them, you know, and just do what you want with them. But, but this is, you know, my gift to you. And, and, and guys, in that moment, the whole weekend, um, how do you not look at those and live with hope? How, how do you not look at those and then read this? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And not marry those two things. And really believe, honestly believe, whether heaven looks like that or not, God is coming back. And you want to talk about patience. She said, I labored over this because for two years I would touch it. I'd go away for a couple of days. I'd come back like I couldn't get rid of it. And finally, in February of this year, I put the brush down and said, it's done. God, what do you want me to do with it? And God spoke to her and said, give him, drive down to Gilbert and give him to Greg. And guys, honestly, she said, I need to let you know when I leave today, I'm leaving a piece of me here with this. Like it, it was a big deal it is a big deal. Um. So here's the exciting thing is, honestly, I don't know what to do with them. And I say that, I'm excited because, because I'm trusting as she is, her name's Sheila. Sheila and I are trusting that God will somehow use this for his glory for somebody else. And, and just kind of a little family kind of time right now. Um, Leanne's sister, um, phenomenal girl, Reagan, uh, love her to death. You know, she's kind of far from the Lord right now. Guess what Reagan does for a living? She's an art teacher. She paints. And guys, my prayer is that God would somehow connect the dots. Somehow, Reagan would come into contact with these paintings. So I don't, I don't know to give them to her. I, I don't know yet. But I'm excited. And, and guys, I'm living with hope. I'm hoping that somehow all of this makes sense. And that wouldn't it be a great testimony that someone would come into the kingdom because I went up and told my story in Flagstaff and two years ago and someone started painting and, you know, and, and then Leanne's sister, whom Leanne loves to death, 
would come into the family of God and, and maybe this would be a part of it. So anyway, if you think about it, you can pray for that. I, um, it, it's, it's the way we need to live. We need to live with hope. Time and time again, you and I are given the opportunities to live with hope. And, and if you're going to leave with any principles tonight, leave with this. It is real. It's going to happen and it's going to be wild. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let me tell you how it's going to happen here. Those of you who are, well, you know what? Yeah, we've got three minutes, okay? So we're going to end right here. Don't start twitching. Do not start twitching on me. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll end with this tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, and Paul is giving some exhortation to the people of Thessalonica about the end times. He says in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died, that you may not grieve as the rest who do not have hope. He says, listen, people, death is a part of life here. And as you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, why do you grieve like those who don't have hope? You need to grieve differently. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, meaning those who have died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive meaning you and me today, and remain until the coming of the Lord, which was what James was talking about, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, what do you mean, Paul? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, meaning those who have died, shall rise first. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. Some people have speculated, literally their bodies will just come out of the graves and just start to rise first. That's a possibility, okay? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So there's a, this is where the rapture passage comes from, just by the way, FYI. But there's an idea here that the dead in Christ, and then you and I who are left, we go up. And then he says, this is the cool part in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. Now, why would Paul say that? He just, he just threw out a bunch of stuff that would have people in the first century just flipping out as we do in the 21st century. Why would he end with comfort one another with these words? And here's the reason. Because, guys, no matter how it happens, it's going to end well for you. It ended well for Leanne. It ended well for the loved ones that you have lost. It's going to end well for you, Christian. No matter if we see dead people rising or if we rapture up or however it's going to look specifically, I know this. We win. You win. Be patient. Take a breath. It really is worth doing. Let's close. Jesus, thanks for tonight. And God, it is a privilege and an honor to look at your word and to wrestle with it together, to just kind of enjoy it. And Father, it's not deep tonight. Nothing is magical or um, profound tonight. But maybe, God, just maybe there was someone here tonight that is just living very impatiently. Maybe there's someone here tonight, Father, that their spouse is kind of elbowing them a little bit because they know it pertains to them. Maybe someone in the quietness of their heart tonight, Father, really, if they were being honest, would recognize in the past couple of weeks I've been very impatient, and I'm sorry. God, I know I've been impatient. I don't want to be. I don't want to be impatient with those around me. 
I know how it affects them negatively. And so, God, I want to be patient. I want to be a patient guy. Help me with that this week, Father. I pray that. I pray that that all of us in the room would just really live with hope for the coming of the Lord. And however it's going to happen, God, may we be comforted knowing that we win because of you. Thanks so much for the forgiveness of our sins. We need it each and every day. We'll go away from this place, Father. I pray we'd come back next week uh, ready to wrap up the book of James. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.